<clears throat> Are we on? Yep. Thank you. I don't know what it is. Every time I get ready to preach, all this stuff just, and it's <clears throat> got to do that 27 times. And then 28 sometimes. Anyway, I am and have been for a very, very long time been a fan of the Moody Blues. Everybody familiar with the Moody Blues? Two of the guys that are left, see, only two of the original members that are left, and I'm not even sure they're totally, I don't think they're, to, uh, they're, they're original members, but I could be wrong. It's Justin Hayward and John Lodge. They've written some great songs over the years. Now, I, I want to tell you, I'm not going to tell you under exactly the conditions that I first heard the Moody Blues, <laughs> but suffice it to say that um, that had an impact on me for the rest of my days, okay? They are within the two or three of my favorite all-time groups. Another reason that I like them is Justin Hayward has been married to the same woman for over 50 years, and I think that's good. John Lodge and his bride, not quite that long, but they've been married somewhere between 45 and 50 years themselves. The other reason that I like them <clears throat> is that they are both professing Christians. They're, they're not known as a Christian band so much, but their music oftentimes spoke of love and powers greater than them pertaining to God and His love and His power directly to us. There's one song that they wrote, though, that <clears throat> as I prepared this sermon a few weeks ago, I looked at the three passages from Proverbs that I'd used today, and in two of those three verses from Proverbs 12 and 16, both of them spoke things that were right in their own eyes. The Moody Blues sang a song from an album in the early 70s, Every Good Boy Deserves Favor. The song was the story in your eyes. And yeah, this might be a bit of a reach today, but I remembered words of this song in one segment of the chorus. And it goes like this, but I'm frightened for our children that the life that we are living is in vain and the sunshine that we've been waiting for will turn to rain. It's really odd giving this today. I have one grandson that my daughter, Casey, allowed me to name him. We were going to raise him, so I figured I had that right. And I named him for Justin Hayward and John Lodge, the two primary singers of the Moody Blues. Never thought I'd be preaching a sermon quoting them as well, but here we are. <clears throat> you see, what they're saying in my mind talks about the story in our eyes. Look at what Proverbs 12, 15 says. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 16, 2 isn't much different. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. To be more specific, Proverbs 14, verse 16 tells us that one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. In other words, I'm frightened that the directions that we make today, the decisions that we make today, will have a negative effect on not only ourselves, 
but on our family, on our friends, maybe even the church, but most certainly on our children. And in those decisions, while we think we are being so very wise in our own eyes, doing great things, all that will come will be the rain or disaster. And that's what we'll be leaving our children. I think we can see so much truth in these words from Proverbs and in the song as well. So let me ask you this morning, what's the story in your eyes? Are we making wise decisions? Or are we letting the world affect what we say and do, even how we prepare ourselves for tomorrow? The bigger question after listening to just my story alone and after considering your own story in life, are you living in foolishness, recklessly, carelessly? Are you living in folly? Folly, of course, was the topic for the sermon for today. Well, I mean, well, preacher... Don't we all? I, I don't think any of us get out of bed in the morning and, and the first thing we plan on kind of to kick off the day well is to plan to do things that will cause harm to ourselves, to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our church. Do you? Let's go back to our readings once again and look at them from a different perspective this time. While a foolish man views his own ideas to be right, what does a wise man do? He listens for advice. A foolish man is reckless and, and careless. What does a wise man do? He's cautious and turns from evil. <clears throat> Lastly, while a foolish man thinks everything he does is sound and right, God knows the spirit. He knows the heart. He knows the motives behind everything that man does. In other words, a wise man will seek wise counsel. He's cautious. He'll turn from evil when he knows it to be wrong. But above all, the wise man understands God knows his heart. We've used this passage on more than one occasion, but it bears repeating again right now. Early in our Proverbs study, as Solomon was driving his points of wisdom down his sons and our throats, as we've been seeing... He tells us in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Did you hear that? All your ways acknowledge Him. Not just one here or there. Pick and choose. Go for the highlights. Go for the good ones. Go for the best ones. Go for all of them, it says. What is he saying to us here? Follow the wrong path, and it is going to lead to destruction. Maybe not your demise, perhaps, but the world you knew can come crashing down around your ears because you made choices based on foolishness, on folly, and not on God's leading you. As flawed human beings, we are we're going to make flawed decisions on our own, are we not? I can't make it any plainer than this. And I don't think Solomon could make it any plainer than this either. <clears throat> but Elder, don't we need to make daily decisions? Yeah, some of those decisions are, are going to have more impact than others. I agree with that. 
But don't we also need to make long-term decisions that will affect what we're doing, say, 20 years down the road? Well, certainly. You look at businesses. Businesses will have a one, three, five, a ten-year business plan. I, I believe, to an extent, a church should do that too, to some degree. We need to know where we want to be a few years down the road. It's called planning with a purpose or even planning with purpose. And though those sound very much alike, I do believe that there are two separate concepts. Families should be on and thinking on things like that as well. Let me give you an example. I read about a month ago, it concerned people of retirement age continuing to work and why they were having to do that. Now, on the surface, because I'm in that same category to a certain extent, I'm, I'm probably working more right now than I actually did when I was working full time. Some of it's to help pay upgrades to our house. But honestly, if we didn't have any of that extra income coming in like that, it, it wouldn't have made that much of a difference. However, the reason that was given in this article concerned medical expenses. Not insurance costs now, but the costs over and above for retired folks, especially what Medicare alone would cover. These folks were being left with medical bills literally in the hundreds of thousands of dollars due to surgeries, unsuspected, things like this. One example that I saw was a couple that had $300,000 worth of debt on medical alone. And I asked my wife about this. She was in the insurance business. She's a wise lady. Why would folks not have secondary insurance? I mean, truthfully, before I retired, I didn't really know a whole lot about secondary or secondary insurance before I retired. But one day, through God's providence, a guy came to our door selling insurance. Who sells insurance door to door anymore, you know? But here he comes, this guy. And he let us know the importance and the necessity of having or of even a decent secondary insurance plan that covers a lot of what Medicare does not. Now, this is not going to cover or talk to a lot of you all, and yet you need to listen up because you're not going to be as young as you are. You're older right now than you were when you walked in here a little while ago. Think about that one, huh? Yes, sir. It's happening quicker than you think. But, I mean, we, we were blessed, okay? I mean, this guy literally drops in on us out of the sky. But with advertisements on TV now concerning these secondary insurance benefits like Joe Namath and, and everybody else, unless you just don't live on the outside, of the outside of the walls of your home or don't, you know, you live in a cave and you can't get cable, you should be familiar with this sort of thing. You should make yourself familiar with these types of insurances. And by the way, without getting too personal, if these same people had spent the same amount of money on this $300,000 medical debt as we do, my wife and I do, on our secondary insurance every month, think about this, they would have to pay to pay this $300,000 off 706 months. Folks, that is 58 years. Think about that. Do the math. If a couple retired at 65, that means that they would have to pay until they were approximately 
124 years old. I don't think that's going to happen, do you? This is not to blow my own horn here. Please do not take it as that. I'm sure many of you all who are of retirement age, you've done this very same thing. But we listen to wise advice. Young people, I encourage you, you, you do the same thing. Honestly, had it been up to me, <laughs> I always thought that I was going to live forever anyway. I, you know, ain't nothing going to happen to me. I don't need to waste my money on that kind of foolishness. Thankfully, I have a very smart wife. How she married me is beyond me. Where would the folly have been? Where would the folly have been placed on that one? Right here in my dumb thinking. That's where it would have come from. Had my wife listened to me instead of giving me one of those looks that you know, husbands, you know when they give you that look, it's, it's a done deal. You might as well not even say a word or just go ahead and do it be done with it. And, and you know who would have been left paying the debt that I could not pay? My children. I'm frightened for our children that the life we are living is in vain. Foolish thinking. No plans for the future. Family, church, business. If you're still working and are in management capacity. We have got to be smarter about what we're doing with our lives, folks. That's what I'm saying. Let's make this a little bit more personal. I don't need church. I'm a Christian. I've got all that under control. My family and I are good with God. I talked with a dear friend of mine not long ago, another pastor in another town during Senate. But he was telling me that the church overall has, has a problem today. We've let the world come in and take up residence in it. So easy now to, to let so many of the biblical principles that a generation or two ago would have been matter of fact. We don't even dare question them anymore. We didn't question them then, but we're doing it for a different reason now. Now it's if we don't agree with them, we just ignore them and do our thing. And then what happens? We let the world in the doors of the church. That's what happens. We get more of the attitude, well, I don't necessarily need to go to church. I'm a Christian. I've got all that under control. Has part of the fragmentation of the church been what's taken place over the last few years with this stupid virus? And for you new folks, that, that's, that's the name of it. For me, that is the proper name for it, the stupid virus. Certainly it has. We know this, okay? And yet, that's not the total reasoning of not coming back to church. It was the foolish thinking that I can make it on my own without church. And as I said, this has been going on now since the last generation, but that's not quite accurate, okay? Church attendance started waning back in the early 50s. Think about that. Maybe for different reasons than today, but the trend began then. Oftentimes, men of the family would stay home because of the workload. Perhaps maybe they, they worked in mills and they worked in mills. And when you worked back then, you, you slaved for six, six, uh, six days a, a week. And that seventh day, you, I mean, you literally just collapsed. Maybe it was from the men who were in, in the military 
and had come back from World War II or even the Korean War. And they didn't go to church on Sundays. They were used to having to do maneuvers or whatever the case may be. This had no effect on them whatsoever. It's just another day. Maybe in the farmer's eyes, they had to work seven days a week. They lived in the Midwest where there was a lot of farming. Maybe even in the South where there was a lot of farming. And that did not stop on Sunday. It continued. The needs continued. And so they did. I've known moms who would load up their cars with their children and they would, and she would get them to church. I grew up in a church with a few kids that I might have seen their dads two or three times in my entire young adult life. Many a man planned for the future for their families, maybe financially, but they failed the family by not being in church with their wife and children. So what did that do? It gave the children, especially the young men, of the household, the the idea that they too didn't need church, especially when they got out on their own and they were working or in the military or perhaps maybe as it was with me in school. I'm a man now. I can make my own mind up as whether I go to church or not, except when I go home. And I won't go home very much. I don't have to do it. That was my thinking, okay? I hear laughter. I've got a feeling I'm not the only one. So what did that do? It, it gave the children the idea, of, hey, you know, church is not that big a deal. I don't have to worry about it. Proverbs 16, 2, the Lord knows the heart. Hmm. Wonder why we have Hebrews 10, 25 and why that is so very important. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why is that important? Because the Lord knows the heart. He knows our heart. He knows our plans. And if left on our own, those plans will be folly. Folks, we need to grow spiritually. Otherwise, we'll remain babes in Christ. Plans for our life must be centered around the will of God. The plans of the church must be centered on Scripture. Not on what man thinks will draw in the people. Carrie and I were talking about this on the way to church this morning. About how the, church, the truth now is so misconstrued or skewed even to the point to where you've got these big churches. But you've got hollow churches. Because the people in there are not believers. They're followers. Followers of the preacher. Followers of whatever it might be, but it's not being followers of the truth. And there is a huge difference. And I'm glad I can sit back every once in a while. And today, I got that just okay. Sorry, you'd have to be in here to understand. What is in that water this morning? I don't know, but I need more. You have a mineral attack. So, so let me ask you, how then do we grow as Christians? We've we got to read the Scriptures, obviously. We need to pray. We need to fellowship. We need to serve. And we need to love. One, our reasoning for, for doing things must be Christ-centered. 
God-focused. Now, to get back to my talking to my friend not long ago, we should also understand that there can be an excess when it comes to doing things by the book. The Pharisees started out that way, faithful to the commandments, to the laws that God had given them to operate their lives under. Until that is, they begin to believe that the law was theirs and that they could dictate to the Jews those laws that they wanted to do. They became legalists. That was precisely when they started to add their own law to the process. Taking the number of laws to up over 600 for the people to try to have to live by. I say try to have to live by because it just was not possible. No one could live those laws to the letter. No one save Jesus. And yet he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. None but Jesus could do that. Now, legalism is the opposite to being too lax with our laws and our form of government, our fog, okay, in the ARP church. However, oddly enough, both will come to almost the same end result. Folly by man will lead to the downfall of the church. On a smaller scale, same could be said in how we live our lives how we run our families or, or our businesses, and so on. While we may think our actions and motives are right and just, remember one thing, God knows the heart. Let's look into the New Testament just a second. Look at the words we find in Matthew chapter 6. These are words that if we are wise, we'll follow these words every day. If we think we are right in our own eyes, we could end up with a lot of headaches. Those words... Verse 33 of Matthew 6. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In this context, Jesus was talking about not being anxious about anything in life. Herein is the answer to what Solomon tells us in our three verses for today. If we think we are right in our own thinking, and don't include God in our plans, chances are our plans will fail. We're going to fret. We're going to worry. We're going to plan more and more, and we're going to be less and less secure in those plans. Proverbs 14, 7 says, that Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet the words of knowledge. And usually, who is going to be that fool, that bearer of folly? Well, Generally, it's ourselves, isn't it? We must find someone that we can place our trust in. Will they steer you wrong? Of course they're going to on occasion. They're human beings. But seeking the counsel of the wise through prayer, asking for help, for wisdom from God, you will find it. But you must not be so proud that you think seeking that kind of help should be a last resort. I'm going to try everything else under the sun, and if that doesn't work, then I'll pray. How does that sound? That doesn't sound good, folks. Not good at all. Not very smart. Folly. Let's follow the topic for today. On top of that, seeking God's wisdom isn't something that you can do one time. Put the order in to God, and, and He'll take care of everything else. It doesn't work that way. 
You've got to pray. You've got to be persistent. You've got to be consistent. You've got to let God know your, your prayers and petitions for what you want. Not just a one-shot deal and sit back and wait for it to come in the mail. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. In my estimation, seeking God's wisdom one time and expecting the results that you want, that is being careless and reckless, as we see in Proverbs 14, 16. Commitment to the Lord in prayer time. Consistency and persistency in prayer time will help us seek and find what we're looking for. So what will define you? What will be the story in your eyes? Will it be a lifetime knowing exactly what we think we want in life and failing in our attempts to get there? Will it be with an attitude of, I know more than everybody else, so I'm going to do things my way. At the same time, failing to understand that God can see right through to your heart and see how not only you're struggling, but you're failing. Remember, before we can begin to make inroads in the world, we must first direct our thinking to the one who can make all the difference in the world for you and for us. Will your story be of one living in vain, of leaving our children utter failure to have to try to rebuild? Or will we individually and collectively regroup ourselves in the Word of God, reimmerse ourselves in it, look to God together and leave our children a fighting chance. Situation is all of ours, not just one or two, but every one of us. But if we look to God, we will leave our children sunshine instead of rain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of, of hearing your word once again. Harsh words at times. But we need not depend on ourselves. We need to depend on you. We need not decide to pray one time because all else has failed. Lord, may we come to you first. It's a change of thinking. It's a change of heart. And for many of us, we're still waiting for that change. So would you bless us, help us to understand, to grow in you more and more each day so that truly we can leave our children, we can leave the world in a better place than what we found it. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.